Hello, I'm Regina Zona, and this is True Confessions of a Still Fabulous Diva. This is my true confession. I let an agent derail my career. There are shitty people in power everywhere. And unfortunately, sometimes those of us trying to navigate through the world of the performing arts are forced to work with some of these people. When I returned to singing after focusing on my academic career just a few years ago, I knew that the only way that I could do anything in a singing career was to get an agent. I needed somebody that could sell me to companies that would market me as a mature singer in her prime, singing new repertoire and ready to hit the opera world by storm. I sang for several agents and I got really, really great feedback. But the problem was that nobody was willing to sign on the dotted line and put me on their roster. One agent told me flat out that he really loved me. He believed in me. He thought that I was in my prime singing better than I had ever sung. But he was gun shy to sign me because he had been told by opera companies around the world that they were not hiring singers that were older than 30 years old. So I did as many auditions as I could on my own, and I didn't really get anywhere with that. Although the thing that was so frustrating about it was that my singing got better and better and better, and I finally figured out exactly how to market myself in the repertoire that I was singing. So... After all of these auditions, I was getting to the point where I thought, well, you know what? Maybe it just wasn't meant to be. And it was about that time that I saw an audition notice for a new agency that was just being formed and they were going to be filling their roster. And the only reason that I paid attention to it was because one of the founding members of this company was actually a singer that I had sung with in my former life. And I really, really loved him and thought he was a great singer. And he had a career that I would like to have. So I reached out to them and they granted me an audition. And that audition was a phenomenal success. I mean, after I sang my first aria, they applauded. That doesn't happen in auditions. (laughs) They both said that it was so refreshing to see a real mature performer who knew exactly who she was. They said that I was exactly what they were looking for. And when I asked how they would market me, They said exactly the things that I wanted to hear. They saw my age as an asset rather than as a liability, like everybody else did. And they were really, really excited about me. And in turn, I was super excited and felt super validated that finally somebody understood who I was and and what I needed. 
So I set up a meeting the next day with the agent um, that I had not known before my audition. Little did I know that uh, I would never actually ever see my former colleague again. I had only seen him on the day of the audition, and then I was never going to see him again. I wanted to meet with the other agent because I didn't know who he was, and I wanted to get to know him a little better and find out more about what his plans would be to market me and how we would proceed, what, what the plan would be. So this first conversation that I had with him was a very lively meeting. And basically, he told me about his grand visions that he had for his new company. He not only wanted to get singers jobs with other companies around the world, but he also wanted to start his own production company where he would produce fully staged operas with orchestra and feature all of his singers. He wanted to set up international master classes with his mature singers uh, and uh And so the mature singers, of which I would be one of them, would lead these master classes and that the mature singers would also mentor the younger singers on his roster. He was also in talks with somebody at HBO to create a documentary uh, about how he would hope that opera would have a new, it would have a resurgence and bring back the old grand opera from the dead. So thinking back on this conversation, it was all a little much, but it was very compelling to hear this man's passion, the passion that he had for opera and for his work. And it was exciting that he wanted me to be a part of that vision. But interestingly enough, in that three-hour meeting, he didn't ask me one question about myself. I barely spoke at all. He went on and on about his own big vision, also slipping in a few times that money didn't really matter to him because, you know, he was so rich, he could make it all happen for himself and his singers. Okay. (laughs) So it was all a little strange, but the visions that he had for his company, while they were pretty outlandish, they were outside the box. And the fact of the matter is that I too was outside the box. My age, my experience, my repertoire was not the typical starting out opera singer that most of these agencies want. And up to that point, nobody had wanted to sign me because of my age. But this man embraced my age. So finally, I figured out that if my former colleague trusted him enough to go into business with him, then I could trust him enough too. And so I decided to sign on with him. So our first correspondences via email were pretty fine. And then all of a sudden, there was sort of this odd shift. I would respond to an email that he would send with, you know, a really simple question like, 
would you like me to sing this particular aria for that audition? And he answered me with a strange attitude as if he had no idea what I was talking about. He would say, why would you do that? We talked about how I would market you. Why would you even consider that? So I would respond in very flowery, apologetic language. And I chalked it off to email not being a a great way to correspond because it could be misinterpreted. And then I just let it go. Except that every email response that I received after this was filled with the same accusatory tone to ridiculously benign things that I would say in my emails. So I found myself having to reword everything that I wrote so that it would sound as easygoing and cheerful as possible. And I would always make sure to end every email with some kind of compliment to him. His behavior was strange, but, you know, I thought maybe this was all due to the fact that English wasn't his first language. So there was that. Then there was this time that I posted something on my Facebook wall that was a picture promoting my web series project, Regina Unfurled. And I checked my wall in the afternoon after I posted that, and this agent made a derogatory comment on the picture saying something like, what are you doing, Regina? Don't you realize that everybody can see this? Talk to your management first. <laughs> so after being absolutely stunned that this man would shame me publicly on social media, I immediately deleted the comment and realized that I needed to have a face-to-face -face meeting with him. So the purpose of this face-to-face -face meeting <clears throat> was that I wanted him to do an audit of all of my publicity materials, both in print and online, and discuss my repertoire for auditions. I wanted to know what he was thinking, and I wanted to make sure that everything that I had put out into the ecosphere would match up with how he wanted to market me. So I came to this meeting with a list full of questions. First of all, he was late to the meeting. Second of all, there were no tables at the restaurant that he had wanted to meet at. So I suggested a different restaurant at which he was annoyed that we would have to go to a different restaurant. Third of all, when he arrived, he was in a foul mood and was rude to the waitress. But fine, you know what? I chalked it all up to the fact that it was raining, there was traffic, whatever, yada, yada, yada. So I started to make small talk, as you do at the beginning of every conversation, and I asked him engaging questions, just like I talk about, talked about in last week's episode about the art of conversation. And he proceeded to speak in paragraphs about himself, his past as an opera singer, name-dropping some big-name teachers who insisted he would be a star, 
He started bad-mouthing some of his former and current clients. Oh, and again, he mentioned that he was rich, because apparently I might have forgotten that fact. And then after about 45 minutes of his one-man show, he says to me, so I have another meeting. What was it that you wanted to talk to me about? <laughs> so now I'm a little stunned, stunned that we wasted all of this time having him talk about himself when this business meeting was about me. And I said that, you know, I had a long list of things that I really wanted to discuss. And if he wanted to reschedule this meeting, we could certainly do that. So he hurried the conversation along, placated me with some kind of compliment. And then he went away saying that we should get together next week. And then as he hurried away, I sat there in this restaurant trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Finally, the next emails that followed went th through that same pattern as the earlier exchanges. I would ask a benign question or make a benign comment, and he would completely misinterpret them and shoot back some kind of offensive response. Until one morning, I opened up my email, and I get this long diatribe from this man that basically he doesn't understand why I have to question everything that he does and that it seems that obviously I must know more about this business than he does. I've made him extremely angry and that as of this moment, I am no longer a member of his roster. <laughs> so this came completely out of left field. I'm absolutely stunned reading this. I had to read it three, four, five times. And when I replied with a quote-unquote apology, even though I didn't have anything to apologize for, I asked him if we could meet face-to-face -to, -face to discuss this because obviously email was not the best venue uh, to have such a discussion. He didn't respond to that email. So I called my former colleague. Remember him? I haven't seen him or spoken to him since our first, for the first audition. So I just wanted to ask my former colleague, you know, what could have happened and what this could have meant in this correspondence that I had with this man. And I wanted to try to get some advice on, on how to proceed, how to respond to him and see if this was just blown out of proportion. So my friend responded, me, responded to me via email saying that he was on a gig in production and that he couldn't talk to me right then, but that he would give me a call in a day or so. He never did. The next email I get is from the agent, which is another blistering note about how he is appalled that I would dare call my former colleague, that he is not to be disturbed when he is on a gig, and that I should never call him again. And he is a 
offended that I would go behind his back to speak to his colleague and my colleague, who is the guy that I knew in the first place. He then decreed that I am no longer allowed to speak to anyone on his roster. I mean, come on. (laughs) I just thought, this is so ridiculous. It's like a little kid in a sandbox that is going to take all of his toys and walk away and not allow me to play with them. (laughs) I sent him a curt professional email as the last word, and I vowed never to reach out to him again. And after one month, all of this happened in one month, that relationship was completely over. Needless to say, all of this was pretty devastating. I had fought thought to finally be a managed singer again. And, you know, I was deserving of every accolade this man and my former colleague had given me on that first day. And then everything derailed. And I started to think that, you know what, if the only person that was willing to take a chance on me and sell me in this business was an unstable, narcissistic asshole, then I really had no hope of moving forward. And ultimately, that was the end of my operatic career. I fell into a pretty deep depression after this. And I probably didn't sing for about six months. And even worse than that, I couldn't even get motivated to dream up any new projects. I couldn't see anything beyond this devastation and couldn't even imagine how I was going to move forward. But in thinking back about this whole ridiculous experience, I soon realized that, you know, all the signs were there, that this whole thing was nothing but smoke and mirrors from the very beginning. All the signs were there. And when I wasn't strong enough to get out on my own, when I saw those those signs, the universe intervened and got me out. And then I learned six months later that this man did the same exact thing to one of my dear friends. This is what I know for sure. When a red flag pops up in your head, pay attention and don't try to justify it. Every single time, every time I had interactions with this man, a red flag would pop up. And 
every single time I would find a justification for it. He always talked about himself. And I justify it, justified it as him being really passionate about what he does. His ideas always seemed a little far-fetched, but I justified it as he was an out-of-the-box thinker, and I needed an out-of-the-box thinker. He would misinterpret everything I wrote in an email, but... I justified it by saying it must just be a language barrier. He was rude to the waitress, but I justified it. You know, he was just having a really bad day. And the list went on and on and on. And then finally, the universe saw that a bullet was coming right at me, and the universe got me out of the way. Because, truth be told, had this not blown up the way that it did, I probably would have tried to stay in that relationship. I would have tried to accommodate his idiosyncrasies, to keep the peace, because I needed him to sell me. I needed him to work for me. But what I know now is that had I stayed in it probably would have been worse. If he so freely spoke badly about his clients and the companies that he negotiated with, he was going to do that about me to other people. And that would do me absolutely no good. And I would have had to compr compromise myself every single time in every interaction that we had I would just have to try to keep the peace, and that would do me absolutely no good. The thing is that these red flags pop up for a reason. Thinking back in my life, any time a little whisper of a red flag has popped up, it turned out that something wrong was brewing every single time. And there is this thing in all of us that tries to ignore it, tries to justify it, tries to make excuses for it because of the promise that the situation offers. But the truth is, I didn't believe in myself enough to walk away and realize that I was better without him than with him. And as devastating as it was the way that it all went down, it was the best thing that could have ever happened because it saved me from months or maybe even years of misery. Here's my inspiration for the week. Again, this quote is from Queen Oprah. She says lots of really good things. But she has this quote that says absolutely everything that needs to be said about what I just talked about. The only time I've ever made mistakes is when I didn't listen. Your life is always speaking to you. 
first in whispers. It's subtle, those whispers. And if you don't pay attention to the whispers, it gets louder and louder. It's like getting thumped upside the head, like my grandmother used to do. You don't pay attention to that. It's like getting a brick upside your head. You don't pay attention to that. The whole brick wall falls down. That's the pattern I've seen in my life. Whispers are always messages. And if you don't hear the message, the message turns into a problem. And if you don't handle the problem, the problem turns into a crisis. And if you don't handle the crisis, disaster. Your life is speaking to you. What is it saying? Mm-hmm. So chew on that. Thanks so much for listening. I'm really grateful to you for being on this journey with me. And join me for next week for my next confession. I'm writing a show. And remember, the only response to the question, how are you, is fabulous.